Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, I feel absolutely great. I was taking a walk yesterday evening and I got that, that kind of fall, that smell of fall, that air. It wasn't, it was chilly, but it wasn't really super cold. Um, just the trees, the smell, you know, you can smell fall. It's one of those seasons. You can absolutely smell it. And um, I enjoyed the Champions League football this week. I'm going to see the Manny Saints of Newark tomorrow. I am excited and scared about that one, but um, I'm in good spirits. That's beautiful. Why are you scared? When you love something as much as I love the Sopranos and David Chase and the work he's done, you worry about a prequel movie, which is outside the territory of what they've done before. Now, you can argue that every single episode of The Sopranos was kind of a movie unto itself, and some are extremely cinematic. But I'm going to see a Sopranos movie with all the characters as young characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know David Chase is involved. Alan Taylor is director who, was, who directed some of the best episodes of the original series. But I, I'm concerned because, you know, I'm obsessed with the show. So I want it to be good. I understand that. And I'm excited for it too. Um, it's, a, it's a streaming vehicle, right? I, I can just watch this at home. Yes, but um, David Chase has said it was made as a movie, so he'd like people to go and, and see the movie. I think he was yeah. a bit upset at HBO that it was... Uh, uh, he knew it would be on HBO Max, but I don't think he thought it would be launched at the same time, which means... In these COVID times, a lot of people aren't going to go to the movie theater and aren't going to see it the way he wanted people to see it. But I am, a, I am an acolyte of his, so I'm obviously going to go and do what he told me and go to the, uh, go to the uh, movie theater. Nice. Yeah, there's something about seeing a movie in a movie theater that I do miss very much. Uh, all right. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> a lot has happened over the last 48 hours. Trademark so. comment from this podcast. There's a lot to talk about. The Champions League was really, really fun and exciting this past week. So we're going to talk about a lot of that. Uh, we also have the U.S. squad that was announced for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. A couple interest. There's some interesting names that are that are and aren't on there. So we'll talk about that as well. We also have a mailbag at the end with some hate mail in it, which is interesting and fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's start, JJ, with the Champions League. And let's begin at Old Trafford, where Manchester United squeak by with Fergie in attendance. It's only fitting that they won it in Fergie time. Cristiano Ronaldo, his 41st career game winner in the Champions League, the most in competition history. Messi, obviously, is next with 38. Also, Ronaldo, uh, his game-winning goal is the fourth of his Champions League career in the 90th minute or later, breaking a tie with Alvaro Morata and Sergio Aguero for most in Champions League history. This was high drama in Manchester. Yeah, and, and let's start with the good. I thought the United crowd were absolutely unbelievable. Now, it's the first European home leg our home game post COVID. So I'm sure everyone was pumped to have a game under the lights midweek. You talk about Fergie time. The last time Ronaldo scored at Old Trafford in the Champions League um, on a night like that, Fergie was still manager. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of symmetry there. I thought the crowd and United supporters in the ground were unbelievable. Now there was a smattering of boos at halftime, which I understand too, because that first half was about as wretched a performance as I've seen from a United team in maybe the last 20 years. Like, it was dreadful. And I should give Villarreal credit because they were really, really good. But let's talk about the good things. 
first of all, the classic United ending on a European night, a late goal uh, scored by an iconic player of theirs. And there was a buzz afterwards, which um, nicely glossed over everything that had gone before, which wasn't very good. The goal that Alex Telles scored, the equaliser, was so good. The last time a goal was scored as good as that in terms of that type of goal was Aryan Robin. Um, who scored at the other end, not the Stratford end, and for the opposition, Bayern Munich, again when Fergie was manager. Um, now, that was from a corner kick. This was from a free kick. But what? Just unbelievable technique and skill um, for Alex Tellis to score that. So, so the ending, the buzz of the crowd, uh, you know, the goal that was scored, the fact United win it, all that leaves a, a feel-good uh, factor for United fans. But mostly... Um, mostly the, the commentary, not just from me, but from other people has been just how bad a performance it was. Yeah. In your, your Twitter feed was a dark place yesterday. Yeah. But whenever, like yeah. You, you didn't see too many United fans in fairness, barreling in to defend what they saw because it was bad for so much of the game. And, you know, there's only so, so far you can push the, the supporters I thought the supporters in the ground were great. The supporters online were, were, were obviously, because they can be, because it's amazing. They're not charged with adding anything to the game. United fans who are on Twitter and not at the game have no responsibility, whereas those in the ground actually do have a role to play, and I thought they played it excellently last night. Uh, yeah, one one other good before we get to some of the, uh, what you're talking about, some of the negative stuff from Manchester United. Um, uh, Jesse Lingard coming on the way he laid that ball off as he's kind of going down to the ground, he laid it off perfectly yeah. to Ronaldo. So I Definitely. did want to give him credit on a really important assist uh, for him as well. Oh, that, I was, should add, that was really yeah, nice. I, I totally agree with you. And I should add that Cavani, <laughs> Cavani comes in and you just see his value to this team. He's absolutely the running. He does the, the pressing, the closing down, and his general play, he's a live wire and he's 34. He's two years younger, almost exactly. They're both February babies, I believe. Uh, two years younger, 34 and 36 to, than Ronaldo. And just like when you see him move, you're like, it looks like a decade in, di- in the difference. Like Ronaldo is so, well, he, he doesn't move. He only moves in those. Well, I think he picks his spots. Yeah. Whereas his, Cavani is more, maybe more relentless. Yeah, right. He's like a, he's, he's like a, a, a whirling dervish. That's that. That's Tasmanian what, devil. Tasmanian devil. Yeah, I, I, we're going through all the commentary um, cliches to talk about a player who was in relentless motion, uh, but I thought he was great. Now the bad, I suppose. So for I mean for me, it, it's kind of dual bad and good because we we should compliment Villarreal as well. Oh uh, uh, yeah, they found a weakness. It seemed in Manchester United's defense with Dallo, <laughs> and they just did not let up. Uh, Dan Juma down that side oh. over and over again. Have you, seen a roast, have you seen a roasting like that? Like, I haven't seen one like that in a long, long time. Yeah, especially because the roasting was, it was already happening. And then he had that move where he like, he kind of dribbled. I don't know if it was a full on nutmeg, but he like kind of dribbled right past Dallow and just sprinted by him. Yeah. And it just kind of like was an exclamation mark on what was just a brutal first half for Dallow. Uh, and it's no wonder the goal for Villarreal in the second half, it came from that side as well. Um, played into Alcacer who, who 
was able to uh, to get one home. And by the way, Alcácer should have had a hat trick, Andrew. I mean, it it could conceivably conceivably have been three 0 at half time. Like I I knew Villarreal were going to lose this game because they were going to leave United in it, and at some point United had to do something. Like the law of averages. Uh, Villarreal would either would either tail off a little bit towards the end of the game, and United would find energy, which they did from the from the Alex Tellez goal. Well, so um, but- there, what I what I wanted to ask you about specifically. So you're mm. right; it, it felt like you know Villarreal they did get their goal, they did take the lead through Paco Alcacer, and then just a few minutes after he scored, when he had been having such a good night, they took him off. Mm. Which, I mean, I, I don't know if that's something that's to be expected if like okay we're up now let's change what we're doing yeah um, I, I know teams do that for me when i saw it i thought oh are you sure yeah emery does do that though andrew i think he did the same thing at nil nil in the europa league final in gdansk in may where he took off i can't remember who the attacker was but he did bring on alcaster but he brought on a, a defensive midfielder as well in that final too so emery is, is prone to those changes but i don't really think that's the reason they lost the game. They just, when it was 1-1 and they should have been clearing their lines, there was a moment, I think it was Kapui got fouled and there was a minute and a half left. And you're like, just boot that down the field and press United into the corner. And they they did that, but it ended up with the goalkeeper and straight back down the other end. Um, listen, I, I, I should say this now. Um, Villarreal are 11th in, in La Liga, one win in the last five games, but they have players like Pino, Alcacer, Danny Parejo, good footballers. But there's also a healthy number of Premier League nearly men like Juan Foyt, Alberto Moreno. Mm-hmm. Um, and the man who ran midfield last night, who ran the show for most of the game, the aforementioned Eddie and Capoue. You know, there is a lot of like, uh, it's not fair to call professional footballers Drek or, or, or castoffs, but you know, players who didn't quite cut it at the highest level in England. And um, Emery was able to make that team way more than some of its parts last night. And they should be very, very upset that they didn't that they didn't come away with a point at least. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because in games like this in the Champions League, when you're on the road against a better side in Manchester United, the margins are so small. And you see it sometimes take form in things like set pieces, where in the first half, Villarreal had that really nice worked corner kick uh, with a dummy that then played off to Alberto Moreno yeah. in great position. And he just fired into the 50th row. Yeah. And then Manchester United get the free kick from just outside the box. And what do they do? You've got a player, you know, Alex Tellez isn't even one of Manchester United's what, like 10, 11 best players, mm. but he's still capable of doing that off of a free kick. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a, and I think Emery said it as well after the game, there was a huge, he didn't say it like this, but he alluded to the, the disparity in, in players. Like you had, you had Paul Pogba in that team. You had Edson Cavani, you had Ronaldo, uh, you had you know, Mason Greenwood, uh, you had Jaden Sancho, who, who didn't play amazingly, but played well enough for this to have been his best game by a mile for Manchester United. Mm. Um, but I think this was rather than guile or a system coming to fruition, this was like the force of will and the force of a godlike player like Ronaldo knowing where to be to score the, the winner in the end. There was, um, there was a lot of perspiration, but there wasn't a lot of system to United. And that, that, is, that is the problem with them. You know, you can't say they're getting the best out of the players they have. Like, I didn't even mention Bruno Fernandes. 
You know, they have just such an array of attacking players. And, and the fact that they have to scrape 2-1 at home to Villarreal in this fashion tells you so much about, well, the manager's tactics and, and how they're not working. Yeah, it was interesting because um, I'm trying to remember if it was the first half or second half, but Bruno had a, a pretty good attempt. You know, one of his kind of patented long, you know, 18 to 25 yard shots that, yeah. he, that he narrowly missed. And uh, he actually issued a lengthy apology uh, after the game about having missed that. <laughs> it seemed yeah. a little excessive, but, you know, yeah, but right in, the, right in the middle, he ran off. He told his social team, we need to get something out here. We need to let people know that that effort was coming from a good place in my heart. Um, but yeah, it's um, well, I don't want to sit here and make this. If you're a Manchester United fan, yes, they did not play a good game. But in, you're right, though, in a Champions League night, seeing Ronaldo do that for your team in the 95th minute to win a game. Like, I don't want to just sit here and rain on their parade. That was a, that had to have been a lot of fun. No, uh, there's no, there, I mean, we can do both. Apparently you can't with a, with a lot of people. You can't, you must, you must either give gushing over the top praise or it must be funereal and absolutely, uh, you know, attacking someone. One, one or the other, you can, you can, you cannot have a bit of both. I thought, it was a fairy tale classic Manchester United ending, but this yeah. is not sustainable. And this is not where the team needs to be after what we're going on for three years of this manager. You're right. I think a, a fair way to, to sum it up would be to say it was not a great night for United that was capped off with an incredible moment of drama. Absolutely. That's a fine way to say it, Andrew. Um, the XG philosophy, our dearest friend, Manchester United 1.34, Villarreal 2.76. Yeah. That I mean, look, sometimes taking I know the XG philosophy, sometimes they say, look, it's not always healthy to, to just look at our numbers in the scope of 90 minutes. We're kind of like it's more useful to use this as a tool over a, lo- a larger subset sure. of games. But sometimes when the numbers are that differentiated from one another, like that has to tell you some kind of story about who sure. was seeing the bulk of the chances. And I think one of the, uh, one of the things about last night was that um, the eye test was all you needed, you know, um, you could see the chances yourself. You could see the quality. The one where Varane makes the mistake and Alcacer gets in is a, I don't know why he didn't keep going. Why didn't he drive into the space a bit more? I mean, that is just a, that was it's one of, those, one of those chances as well. Uh, Mark Critchley, our, our, our friend of the pod, tweeted this. He was at Old Trafford. Solskjaer having to come out into his technical area and remind Lindelof and the rest of the defense to move across the pitch to form a back three when Dalla go, uh, moves into midfield. That was a tactical wrinkle. So, it's as if he was caught in two minds last night because he dispensed with the belt and braces of Fred and McTominay as two holding defensive center midfielders. And he put Pogba in there in the midfield with McTominay, but then he decided he wants more numbers in and he inverted Dallow into the center, which I genuinely think didn't help Dallow. Like if a guy is struggling with one job, i.e. defending, which is his main job, don't give him another one then when you're in possession. Because the minute the ball was turned over, there was a gap in at that fullback position, which uh, Villarreal exploited. Um, yeah, another another night where you just come away and you think this guy probably isn't up to it, but there's no question that the players are and you wonder where they'd be with a better manager. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention as well, Andrew, was uh, Donny van der Beek. So he got caught on TV showing his disgust um, when the substitution was made in the second half and Fred was coming on and it was him. He was just sat there as he usually is. More, more often than not, doing nothing. He picks up his chewing gum or whatever was in his mouth and he just throws it down to the technical area below. Because you know at Old Trafford, they've got the yeah. recess seating into the stands. And um, 
I was thinking about Donny van de Beek, but also the way his career has gone, but also the boys of that glorious summer for Ajax when, well, Tottenham ultimately reigned on the parade in early summer in May. But, you know, Donny van de Beek, literally a forgotten man at Manchester United, can't, can't get into the team for love nor money. Uh, then you look at Matthias de Ligt at Juventus. Oh, okay, all right, fine. Probably will be okay. You look at Frankie de Jong at a, in, in a terrible position at Barcelona, in the worst Barcelona team in 20 plus years. And you look at uh, Hakim Ziyech, who, when everyone's fit, won't start for Chelsea. It's, um, it's not really worked out, has it? For all those boys of Ajax's summer. Meaning what? They would have yeah, I mean, they had no... just staying where they were and, oh, and, no. and riding I mean, that one out. No, that's fairy tale thinking. Right. That the economics of the game mean, that means they have to move on. But it's, um, it's, it's interesting how, how good they looked as a unit together. And then when they're dispersed, not to say that they won't be great. Ta- Frankie de Jong is going to be a great talent for years to come. And Delict, uh, Donny van de Beek, we don't know. Because of what he's got to leave, though he's got to leave. But I'm just saying, you know, you you would have expected these players to go on to bigger and better things, and it's it it just really it isn't linear. Maybe no career is linear. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I'm thinking about uh, that Monaco team from a few years ago as well. Yeah, Mbappe, um, Bakayoko, right? Thomas Lamar. Yeah. yeah, it's it, it doesn't right. Always... Sometimes you just kind of catch lightning in a bottle, like a certain situation, the way players play off of one another, their chemistry, the manager. I don't know. Sometimes it just works in one place and for whatever reason isn't as good in another. Uh, it's hard to explain. Yeah, know. it really is. Uh, all right, let's continue now, JJ. And let's go to Spain, where the greatest upset, one of the greatest upsets in. Okay, so here's the actual stat we're talking about Real Madrid and Sharif Tiraspol. Which ends 2-1 in incredible fashion. It's kind of why I love this competition, and it's kind of why I have no use for the people who say the group stage is a waste of time because this was anything but, and it's it's just fun to see these matchups occur. So with Sharif, at, uh, they were plus 2,700 before this game started on, on the betting market. Uh, this was the biggest upset of any UEFA match or any match in Europe's top five leagues in the last three years, I believe. The previous one was in 2019 when Norwich City beat Man City. They were plus 2,000. Oh, wow. So this was every <laughs> bit the historical event that you that you thought you were witnessing as it was happening. Uh, Sharif becomes the fourth team to win in their first game at Real Madrid's home in European Cup or Champions League competition, along with Juve, Arsenal, and Liverpool. That is the company that, that Sharif Tiraspol are in. Juve, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Sharif Tiraspol. This was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, Sebastian Till, the Luxembourg international who scored the winner for Sharif, has a, a, an elaborate, or Sheriff or Sharif, I'm not sure. I'm going to call him Sheriff. because well, the, an... the broadcaster was saying Sharif, so I'm okay. going to go with what he was saying. All right. As, um, I met someone last night that told me I was pronouncing Azerbaijan wrong. She's from Azerbaijan. It's Azerbaijan. Amazing. Hmm. Um. But uh, Sebastian Till, yeah. He By the way, a- you're, you're not alone there. I think she, she has a lot of people to talk to. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I guess she does, really. Um, Sebastian Till, who scored that brilliant volley to win the game, has a very elaborate, he's many elaborate tattoos, but an elaborate tattoo specifically on his leg of him dreaming of winning the Champions League mm. on both his legs, which is kind of interesting. Um, 
on another night, you know, you talk about the XG on another night, Real Madrid run away with this, right? This was hilarious. But this was, what was it? 0.4 Sheriff Terrace ball had. And uh, um, I don't have it in front of me, but, but you know. Real Madrid attempted 31 shots. <laughs> it was their most in a Champions League game since 2016 against Legia Warsaw when they had 32. Yeah. Like th- this was relentless from Real Madrid. Vinicius had chances. Benzema had chances. The, right. the late block on Luka Jovic's attempt was like when I saw it in real time, I think it was the 87th minute or so. I, I thought Jovic just he just scuffed it. But then on the replay, you could see the angle where there was an unbelievable block to deflect it harmlessly to the goalkeeper to preserve the lead. I mean, Real, they just couldn't finish. I don't know. I guess this happens sometimes in this sport. No, you're it, gonna, it you, was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. You'll have nights like that for sure. Absolutely. Um, we, we mentioned, uh, a, a little bit about, so this is a great story, but it's also not quite what it seems. I don't know if it, you can class this as fairy tale. Oh, it was funny. They were though. plus 2,700. Come on. Yeah, r- right. Okay. But that's true. Um, <laughs> did you see what El Sharangito did? <laughs> oh no, I didn't. I did not. They sent a reporter to the airport to interview the sh- uh, the sheriff players that were leaving, and one of the questions was, "Are you a professional footballer?" Like, like as if they wanted to pile on Madrid, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I am." And he goes, "Well, you don't have an, any other job, right? It's not like you're. You, this is just your one profession." And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, it's my one. It's my one profession." It's like just so. They had to find a way to demean Real Madrid. So what they did was they also demeaned Sheriff players at the airport by asking these questions. But um, the Baltimore-based journalist um, uh, Slava Malmud Malmud was born uh, not far from this region. And so he does a thread that everyone should read. But I am going to read you just a few things about Sheriff because they are fascinating. Um, So we talked about the the area that... um, that sheriff are in. It's not technically Moldova. It's like a self, uh, self-contained uh, state that doesn't recognize Moldova. It's on its own. Um, this is what Slava writes. I'll just read a few of these. The country, in inverted commas, was created as a project by the KGB to keep Moldova from slipping out of Russia's sphere of influence. Its first, in, in inverted commas, president was some dude from Siberia with an extremely murky past whose full biography is not known to anyone. The country's second president basically assembled a cabinet of ministers, most of whom were very pleasant-looking single women in their 30s, then chose himself a wife from among them, the Minister of Internal Affairs, and retired happily. How does a country like this survive? Russian assistance and dr- drug and gun trafficking. The entire business is owned by a couple of very powerful families, families who run the country as one big mafia organization. One of the companies they own is Sharif, uh, Transnistria's only supermarket chain and also a convenient front for trafficking. This is where Sheriff Terrasball comes from. The team was founded by the owners of the company, both former KGB agents, of course, who have bankrolled it as a giant money laundering operation. They've built a huge football complex in the middle of a quite Moldovan cow pasture. It's literally the only modern building in the entire country, the only building of any size without Soviet mold growing on it. And it's fancy as hell. This is the building where Sheriff play opponents from Hincesti, Otachi and Orai, whose home grounds are actual pastures. In fact, this is the only stadium in the entire nation of Moldova that can be described as such. Everything else in the country is literally pastures 
are ruins like the stadium in Bednar are dumps. In some towns, there are piles of construct- construction junk just beyond the touchlines. It's... It's a story. It's a it's a crazy story. I don't know if it qualifies. The 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 win qualifies as fairy tale. I'm not sure if the club do. Um, Rory Smith does another piece in the New York Times as well, which is very good. He talks about how they've literally eviscerated the competition in the Moldovan league, which they play in, even though they're technically not in Moldova. Um, they've destroyed. I believe, I believe they're unbeaten in 17 straight across yeah. all competitions. By the way, they've won their first two Champions League matches as well. Yeah, they 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 hammer teams, they destroy teams, and they've destroyed that league really because every other club has to find its players in in the Moldovan league from its environs, from its surrounds, from its localities. So they're all local guys, and a lot of them are part timers. Whereas Sheriff have the money and a two hundred million dollar stadium, and they have the money to pay foreign players. Now they're second rate Brazilians and. Maybe they're not second rate. They just beat Real Madrid. But you know what I mean? Uh, this is um, kind of a fairy tale. Well, you've gone and done it. You have once again found a way to take a seemingly glorious moment in this sport and you have ruined it. No, I, this have... is called reporting. Uh, that's uh, Slava Malmud. And uh, you can follow him there. He's, he does some excellent threads on, on a, lot of, uh, a lot of different things. Um, you have made this into like the Hungarian fans. We thought they were incredibly passionate, and then we learned more. This yes. is Ken Bone all over again. We thought he was just an adorable man asking a question during a presidential debate. Then we saw his Reddit history. This is this is that all over again. And what have we learned, Andrew? Don't ask questions. Just accept what you see. That exactly. is the way to go. Head all in right. the sand. Head in the sand. Let's uh, move on. All right. We Let's move on now. to a to a much better story, which has impeccable ethics and morals. <laughs> Manchester City against PSG. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, it was a fun game. I oh, mean, yeah. That's certainly true. Uh, a memorable goal for Messi to put PSG up 2-0. Um, yeah, I wonder about PSG because, like we've talked about on this podcast, we have not seen right out of the gate the version of them that we thought we would see. Um, maybe that's only reasonable that it wouldn't happen right away. Pochettino also spoke about how it's going to take time. The second goal, the Messi goal, to put them up 2-0 – I do wonder if that was kind of a glimpse as to what we think they can be. Like those three players, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, if they can get the ball in space, which Messi did, um, you know, can they, is there enough time basically for them to develop the kind of chemistry where they know the runs to make that, you know, Messi can just direct traffic the way he wants to. You know, that goal was so interesting to me because Mbappe does the right thing. He makes the perfect run across the box, but Messi, I feel like almost deserves his own assist there. Like the way he passes that ball to Mbappe, Mbappe really, the only thing he can do is kind of flick it right back to Messi. And if it was another player, I'd say maybe that was just kind of a happy accident. With Messi, I truly believe he's good enough and smart enough where he just knows if I pass it to that exact spot on the grass, Mbappe has no choice but to just immediately flick it back to right where I need it to be. And, uh, and, and, and it, was, it was brilliant. It was such a fun goal to watch develop. And I was angry at first with Ederson because it's not right in the top corner. And I'm thinking, why doesn't he do something more? But Messi has done him with his eyes. How many times has Messi slotted that to the right of the keeper and it's gone in the bottom corner? Lots of times. But he decided this side, that is the side that Ederson is moving towards. So I will completely flummox him and go the other way. And Ederson's made the slightest move. And as a goalkeeper, you can't react to that. So he's, he's already 
he's committed to one side and that's it. It's game over because it flashes into the net. Um, Mark Ogden, our colleague, is kind of like me. I know what you're saying. And, and, and the M&M strike force could get better. But there were times in the game, Andrew, where those three don't get back. They don't get the other side of the ball. They don't do the work. And it's just from a numbers perspective. So let's accept the three of them have to start. That's it. They're, it's just, it's not possible for Pochettino to drop one of these stars who are mega stars. They are beyond, they are way bigger than that club. Way bigger than that club. Each one of them individually is enormous. Uh, a behemoth. So they've got to play. But there were times when City were pouring forward, and I'd like to give credit to the PSG defenders, where the numbers just don't work. There's, if those three guys are inactive in the defensive part of the game, then it's, you know, it's a majority of Manchester City against the minority defense of PSG. And like Jamie Carris said it on the broadcast, that's why ultimately City will probably go on and go to the semi-final or even a final of this tournament and PSG could be out early. Um, the numbers don't work. Here's Mark. Uh, Messi's goal will paper over the cracks for now and it might also prove the spark that ignites the so-called M&M strike force into becoming the world's best. But after Idrissa Gueye's seventh-minute goal had given PSG the lead, Messi, Neymar and Mbappe struggled to gel as a true front three. That, that's, that's the question. And I think generally City were the better team without ripping PSG apart. But say the incredible Bernardo Silva miss which I'm giving credit to Donnarumma because he gets a touch as it comes down. The initial, the initial hit off the crossbar, his touch plays it really close to Bernardo Silva. He, so he has to adjust his body. Now he should score. I it's get one that. of those that's harder to miss than it is to me. I, I think mm, I'm, I'm going to give him a pass. It's suddenly come at him and he swung a leg and it's just gone that bit, that bit high and hit but the crossbar. But he's so close to the net with no goalkeeper there that even just he should have scored by accident. Yeah, but I'm giving Donnarumma credit. But that's that. That's a he should have scored by accident. Is true. That's a game changer for me. I wonder how PSG would have reacted with the con, conceding a, uh, an equalizer at that point. Um, but you'll notice that Guardiola wasn't very like he was his usual incensed on the sideline kind of animated guy in the sideline. But after the game, he, he was, when he was talking to Peter Schmeichel and uh, I think it was Guillaume Balague. He was pretty calm. He wasn't too upset. Um, and I don't think this changes City's trajectory, nor do I think it, it massively improves what PSG are going to do. I agree with you in that I think Pep's reaction to this game is, is probably the right one. Like, sure, they did lose, but he's playing the long game here. They're going to go through. Mm. You know, they're, they're going to get out of the group stage. And I think considering this one against PSG on the road, Manchester City were the better of the two teams, I thought, over the course of the 90 minutes. Uh, so maybe he can see that. Maybe he can see, okay, that this is okay. If we can see past the, the final score, know that we're going to be all right. This was actually an encouraging performance. Yeah, and, and I think what was good as well was that there was no fallout from the weekend where we saw uh, Mbappe, the video of Mbappe on the sideline saying pretty disparaging things about his teammate who wouldn't pass him the ball. Uh, that, that, that particular incident if we're talking about papering over the cracks, that seems to have been buried for now anyway. I think with PSG, kind of what you're talking about, about you know these three players who are all 
beyond, you know, next level gifted Messi, of course, on, on an even higher plane than, than almost anyone else we've ever seen. Um, like I think about in the NBA, when these super teams have formed, yeah. you know, when it happened with the heat with LeBron, Wade and Bosch, all three of those guys were next level gifted players. LeBron is someone who's on another level and they allowed him to be that player who was on another level. Dwayne Wade became a true secondary option. He was happy to defer and let LeBron be the guy. And Chris Bosch became a role player, a great That's one, right. but a role player. Will these three, is anyone going to be willing to defer and let Messi be the LeBron who just, okay, you do your thing and we'll do the dirty work. It's such a good question. It's such a good question. So you have, here's the problem. You've got Messi who is, such a figure. He's the big figure. He's not deferring to anyone. So as you pointed out, nor should left, he, nor, nor should, should he. he, someone left or right is going to have to defer to him. We have Neymar who literally moved to PSG to get out of this guy's shadow. Although ultimately I'm sure he welcomed Messi coming back, mm-hmm. but you've got a guy who is on his own mission to win something major before he hits 30. Like uh, I say major win something major again. Like it, it's still six years since his last champions league win. And so you've got that guy here. Is, is he likely to defer? No. And you've got an Mbappe who wants out, who wants to get out of the team and is disgruntled as it is, wants his move to Real Madrid. So there is so much competing ego and egotism in the side. They, they're, just, they're just going to be so fascinating. And I don't think we have an answer one way or the other from, from this game. Yeah, uh, but it is a good three points for them, certainly beating Manchester City. Uh, No question about that. Let's see, we continue, JJ. A couple more that we want to get to here. Once again, Italy getting the best of England. It's Juve over Chelsea, 1-0. Something I just, I kind of wanted to bring up with Chelsea. You know, we've been so complimentary of them this season, and rightfully so. They've gotten off to a very good start um, so far this year. Um, but you know, you start to look at them. Uh, so I was, I was thinking about them and looking at them across all, co- all competitions, the league, UEFA super cup, champions league, Carabao cup, everything. They've played 10 games so far. They've scored one or fewer in six of them. Yeah. And I just wonder if we should be expecting more. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, Jacob Steinberg ha- had a good tweet, um, about the aforementioned Mount who was missing. Uh, last two games, a reminder of how vital Mount is for Chelsea. And yes, he wasn't great against Spurs, but he leads the press, links the play, the most efficient of all the attacking midfielders. A lot of question marks hanging over Ziyech and Havertz, even though latter scored winner Champions League final. Just too inconsistent at the moment. That, that's to your point, Andrew. They need more out of, out of Havertz, Ziyech to a lesser extent, although I believe he'll be out of the team when, uh, when, when Mount comes back. Um, is it too? So, is it is it overly biased for me to say that I think they miss Christian Pulisic? No, he, relentless no, in work rate, not, in not attack, bi- runs at bi- defenses, slippery in the box. Like I just, the, I feel like he'd be great for them. By the way, don't you start with the is it overly biased? I don't hear that word bias again from you, Mister. All right, having an opinion or, or in a point of view doesn't make you biased. We'll get to that later on. Leave that to the Twitterati who love that word. Whenever they hear something they don't like, it's bias. Mm-hmm. Pulisic, his numbers will make a difference when he comes back in for sure. But they, they do need more consistency from Havertz. You only see flashes from Havertz. Um, also, I do think that as much credit as we give Tuchel for what he did uh, since he's come in, what's the major thing that he did, Andrew? 
He stopped the leaking. He organized the defense. He made them hard to beat. The attacking side is always the harder thing to do. And if you want to say Chelsea is still a work in progress, trying to fit in all these various components, then I would agree. I, I absolutely think that's true. And um, Mason Mount is a key part to that. And so when he comes back, when Pulisic comes back, um, yeah, although I do think Mount will come in and he will he will stick with Havertz as well. Um because I think he he knows how much talent Havertz has and he just needs to find a way to get it out of him. Yeah. But um, but Chelsea have scored less, I think, in total under Tuchel than they did under Lampard. I'd have to check that if that's still the case. Um, but the main thing that Tuchel has done has been organization and making this team difficult to play against and hard to beat. Um, the other part of the attack, the components are there, but it's uh, it's going to take a little bit longer, I feel. Yeah, I mean, just looking at them in the league, in the Premier League so far this season, they're 10th they're in XG, they're 10th in shots per 90 minutes. Wow. They've been efficient. I, I think, you know, bringing in a guy like Lukaku instead of a Timo Werner as your primary goal scorer means that they'll be efficient. Like, their shot on target percentage is fourth, but they're not generating the number of scoring chances that you would think they should be. Right. Um, but, so, um, yeah. The, these are... Um... These are issues that Lampard struggled with. What's his right? What's his best formula in attack? How does he get the most out of these brilliant attacking players that they have? And you know, Tuchel's not even been in the job a calendar a full year. You know, he's 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 had uh, it's his first he's had his first preseason with this side. So, um, work in progress is a fair way to look at it. I think. Yeah, uh, Barcelona, JJ. Good lord. Uh, they're now without a win in five European games in total. Um, just during that run of these five straight, uh, they've scored just two goals and conceded 14. Oof. This is dating back, of course, to, to last year as well. We obviously, you know, I'm talking a little bit to myself, but like we knew that they would be worse this season. I'm a little bit surprised that it's this bad, this fast. Now in the league, they are still, I believe they're still unbeaten. I think they have three wins and three draws. Mm. Um, but the champions league has been a nightmare for them. I don't know. I still like, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of this. I was watching another one, but I went back, watched the highlights, read a lot about it. Cause I'm just so intrigued by what's going on there. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking at their 11. I'm looking at Ansu Fati coming on as a sub. I, I, I don't know. I still think that like, Yes, they're not what they were in the Messi, Neymar, Suarez, Iniesta, Xavi. Like they're they're not that. Of course they're not that. I'm not stupid. I understand that. But they're still good. There are there's too many good players on this team for them to be playing this poorly in the Champions League. Okay, but against Bayern Munich, that's one thing. We'll talk about Bayern in a minute. But like three 0 to Benfica, uh, this this has to be more. This is this just like a cultural morale shift? Is this bad management? Cause there, there are still good players on that team. There just are. Yeah. The fear factor has gone. Um, this was a humiliation, but the, I, uh, when's the last time a team played Barcelona and the, particularly in Europe and the opposition had so much, confidence that they could that they could get at them that they could beat them probably not until the latter stages of a competition does this happen it certainly doesn't have it rarely happens in the group stages but i was reading melissa reddy uh, from the independent i don't know if you saw this article andrew but these quotes are stunning uh 
she was at the Estadio de Luz last night and Benfica were not bothered about playing this version of Barcelona. This is, uh, this is what Rafa Silva said, who scored the second goal. By the way, Andrew, I know there was an open net for him to slot that into. Did you see the confidence? He, he hit that with the outside of his right foot into the top corner. Mm-hmm. Like, unbelievable confidence. And the confidence was there in his post-match interview. I don't think it was a big test. The scorer of the second goal was asked if there was a special feel to facing heavyweight opponents, and he offered that. It was just another game we had to play that we wanted to win. I mean, that speaks exactly to what you're talking about, that teams do not fear them anymore. No, they don't fear them. And also, I think they're stuck between two, two stools, Andrew. They, they'll dominate possession against, team, but against teams, and, and, they, and they did last night, but they don't do anything with it. You know, the core of Tiki, Tiki Taka was that eventually you would cut the opponent open. Now it's all that passing. It's Spain versus Russia with no end product. That's the worst thing. There's, they no, have, there's, no, there's no edge to this anymore. No. Um, the, through, through two match days in this Champions League so far, they're the only team this Champions League season without a shot on target. Wolfsburg is next with only two. Barcelona, we're yeah. talking about. Right. Now, now, can I offer some personnel reasons for that? They had one brilliant move uh, in the first half where Pedri slides in. I can't remember who the player was. It doesn't matter. And the ball ends up at the feet of who, Andrew? Did it end up at the feet of Samuel Eto'o? Did it end up at the feet of Lionel Messi? No, it ended up at the feet of Luke de Jong, who fell over his own feet. Like, you know, this, the fact that someone like you, you, Excuse me, Luke de Jong, who is a fine professional. He's not a Barcelona center forward, nor is Martin Braithwaite. I mean, this is incredible. And at the end, I think it was Dermot Corrigan noticed it. Uh, he tweeted out all the young players that Kuman had brought on during that game. It was like, I am going to paper over how humiliating this result is by throwing the young guys onto the field, which is kind of a distraction method. Look, look at all the young players we ended the game with. Um, this is another quote from uh, Melissa Reddy, which is equally incredible in its own, in its own way. She writes, Kuman, meanwhile, was in Delusionville. It's tough to accept this result, he moaned. I don't think the scoreline corresponds to the match we watched. Hmm. No, yes, it does. It absolutely corresponds to that. Um, ha- the problem with getting rid of, of Kuman now, who is, I mean, he's clearly... He's incapable of turning this round. Certainly not in Europe. The problem is now, Andrew, it'll cost them 12 million euros to get rid of him. Right. They don't have that money. And just this week, Barcelona's cap was lowered to like, what is it, the second lowest in La Liga? Um, Mm. So their, their financial situation has somehow been made even more dire. There's a report at ESPN FC that they're looking at um, Andrea Pirlo as a, a potential. I saw that. Uh, that they're looking at River Plate's Marcelo Gallardo. Oh. Um, I mean, and, and of course, Javi Hernandez, Roberto Martinez, those are still prominent names as well. But I mean, this is all, like Kuman sees all this going on around him. It seems that the players do still, I think, like him, although 
we'll see how much longer that can continue because the, 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 that room is going to become toxic. Certainly the players are seeing these reports of, you know, other managers names being talked about as, as potential replacements. So it's, it's gotta be just a really uncomfortable situation to be in there, but boy, Pirlo just feel, that feels like a weird one too. What's going on at Juventus? What's going on is that Pirlo is no longer there. And what he, and what's going on is also that he didn't exactly leave Juventus in a great, in a great state of, uh, right. So I don't, I don't understand what the work. <laughs> I, it's not like he left Juventus and you thought, look at the team or look at the state of this team. I'm handing off to Allegri. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how, apart from the fact his name is Andrea Perlo, he gets to, you know, put himself in the frame for this. Uh, I mean, Xavi Hernandez, okay. The, the problem with appointing him is like he's Barcelona DNA through and through, but can he coach? We don't know because he's been playing at a, he's been coaching at a level which is just so far beneath uh, what, he, what he will be required to do at Barcelona. It's total mess, Andrew. And um, we'll see if Koeman survives and, or if Laporta bites the bullet and, um, and decides it's better to pay 12 million that we don't have to get rid of this guy. Uh, a couple others to mention before we uh, take a quick rip, uh, break and talk about the U.S. men's squad and get to our mailbag. Um, Atletico Madrid, J.J. Luis Suarez's penalty at uh, in the seventh minute of stoppage time was the latest game-winning goal scored in regulation and Champions League history. So that's wow. obviously not including extra time or things like that. And the Milan players were incensed by it, absolutely incensed by it. Um, I was listening to Graham Hunter on Off the Ball in Ireland, and he he... I would have thought, oh, that's a, that's a scrape by result for Simeone, but he saw it a different way. He saw the fact that AC Milan fell back, they were packed in, and he, he saw a lot of creativity and promise. And he said this, Andrew, that the squad available to Atleti is really, really quite something. And of the Spanish teams... He believes that they they will be the favorite to. He's not saying they're going to, but they will be the favorite amongst the Spanish sides to win the whole thing. Well, they're defending champs. They've added Antoine Griezmann, who scored. Uh, so that's uh, look at the state that Barcelona are in right now. Real Madrid just lost to Sharif Tiraspol. Yeah. So hardly a hot take to say Atletico Madrid should be considered potential favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Uh comprehensive win for Liverpool. Boy, they looked good in this one. I still maintain that of the English teams so far this season, so far they've looked like the best one. They're on an 18 game unbeaten streak. Haven't lost since they lost uh, Real Madrid back in the Champions League Sorry. in April. Sorry, Andrew, you can't, you can't praise Liverpool without mentioning every other team and every other team's record and who they've played. Otherwise, I'm sorry, that's bias. Oh, that's bias, Andrew. Apologies. Yeah. No, um, in all seriousness, the, uh, they look very, very good. What, what was interesting that came out of this one for me was uh, Curtis Jones, who he didn't become the, he's only 20. He didn't become the nearly man, but Harvey Elliott seemed to have supplanted him in, in, as the young player, the young and up and coming thing that's going to be in the starting 11. And now with, with this injury to Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones is an opportunity to come back in and be that guy, that new up and coming player. And he had a brilliant night in Porto. I thought um, 
I mean, Liverpool hammer Porto regularly in this competition. That's just a fact. Over the last few years, um, Sergio Conceição, I think he took it too far. He said, too many mistakes. He's the Porto manager. Too many mistakes in danger areas. Everything was bad, but the responsibility is mine. Wait for this one, Andrew. It was a shameful disaster. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's Andy Hunter reporting in The Guardian. That's too much, though. Shameful disaster. In Liverpool are so far ahead of Porto. I mean, I guess, I guess five one is 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 a thumping. Um, a five one home home defeat isn't good, but uh, yeah, no, solid, solid. And uh, I would agree with you, Liverpool. It was interesting. One thing I, I wanted to note from the weekend was Liverpool of Manchester City coming up. It looks like Trent Alexander Arnold will not be fit. Um, so that's one weapon taken away from Liverpool. But it was interesting. I didn't get to mention it on Monday's podcast how Brentford targeted <laughs> they targeted uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Whenever they put a cross to the back post where he was, they had three guys around him. It was like what uh, was it the Detroit uh, Pistons did to... Michael Jordan? Yeah, where they would just surround him with guys. Um, so they, they obviously see a weakness there, um, which won't be exploited this week, I know, by Manchester City, or maybe exploited in his, in his absence. But... Um, Anyway, uh, comprehensive from Liverpool and um, we shall see what happens at the weekend as well. But uh, I, you can't not be pleased by the start Liverpool have made to the season. No, absolutely. Uh, and then finally, one other I wanted to mention here, JJ, and that is Bayern Munich. Well, can we save Bayern Munich to the mailbag? Mm, you want to do it I don't want to talk about them. Okay. All right. Damn your mailbag. <laughs> uh I just wonder if things are a little like almost too easy for them right now. Okay. Just so a couple things on them. Uh, Bayern Munich's the fourth team to score eight or more goals and allow zero through their first two match days in Champions League history. That's never happened before until now. Here, JJ, here are the number of goals that Bayern have scored in their last seven matches across all competitions. You ready? Five, three, seven, three, four, five, twelve. They've scored 39 over their last seven competitions, uh, seven games in all competitions, and they've conceded two, 39 to two in their last seven games. This is dominance on an obscene level. Uh, they are coasting right now in a way that no one else is in any league. And uh, it is a joy to watch, certainly. I'm sure if you're a Bayern fan, you've got to just be loving every second of this. Hmm. This is, uh, they are, you know, they are staking their claim once more that they should be considered the favorites to win this competition. Imagine they're, they're in a group with Barcelona and their toughest game will probably come against Benfica. You know, when they look back at this group, you're right. This does this, they, I mean, it puts them as one of the favorites for this competition when you look at the other teams involved, but no, I'm, and I'm sure they take motivation from the fact that like all along, they've continued to be great in this, this current era of Bayern Munich and, you know, PSG, Manchester city, rightfully so those teams have kind of risen to the top of the conversation of, you know, who the favorites are, but like they believe that they, their name should be mentioned when those teams names are mentioned as well. They believe they're that good and everything they're showing us so far would indicate that they are. Okay. Hmm. Okay. We'll get with, there's more, no, no, there's more Munich to be done later. Oh, okay. Um, No, they, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I do agree with you that it's a bit too easy now. What, they, 
some stern opposition would be helpful at some point, you know? And they, I, I guess, see, I mean, like we didn't, I don't see where they're going to get it. Well, I mean, they might get it in, you know, the Bundesliga is not exactly a joke. And like, did we know, like they, they did the, what they did to Barcelona. Now, granted, like we've come to maybe learn more about Barcelona, but when that game happened, Barcelona seemed to be okay. You know, they were playing well domestically and then that game occurred and it just seemed like that was like a turning point in the early part of Barcelona's season that they have yet to recover from, from just an absolute beatdown that they took. It was 3-0 on the scoreline. I mean, anyone who watched that game, it felt way worse than that. It was even more dominant. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm in right now on Bayern Munich. Put it that okay. way. Okay. I've got one more um, and it's German as well. Uh, RB Leipzig uh, are as... Um... As I hear some commentators call them, Leipzig uh, one, Club Bruges two, Jesse Marsh under pressure, Andrew tenth in in the Bundesliga. They did have a big win at the weekend, but um, Rafa Honigstein was tweeting about this game. I didn't see this game, but apparently the Leipzig defending was not of a Champions League quality, mm. and a defeat at home to Bruges that's not good, and. Uh, Kind of for the first time in his managerial career, uh, at least in Europe, you would you would fear for Jesse Marsh. A little bit of adversity. Mm. Well, I have faith in him. And we'll see how he steadies his ship. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go ahead. Let's take a break. When we come back, speaking of Jesse Marsh, we have other Americans to talk about. The U.S. men's squad has been announced for their upcoming World Cup qualifiers, so we'll do some of that. Got a nice mailbag as well, so still a lot to do. Don't Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. JJ, the U.S. men's squad has been announced. I'm excited. There's uh, there's a few things I want to talk about. So I kind of, you know, obviously we'll talk about these games in greater detail when they happen. Um, but just looking at the squad, there's a couple things that stood out to me. First of all, obviously no Christian Pulisic and, and no Gio Reyna. Um, those are glaring absences. It's just becoming increasingly frustrating that like, like we talked about during the last set of qualifiers, that this is the moment, like the era is here of all these brilliant young players that are playing in prominent clubs in Europe. Um, but if they're not healthy, then like every, this is what we've been waiting for. And it's kind of like, we're not being able to see it and take advantage of this moment. Um, granted, this is all just small individual spots. The, the big thing is, um, if they do qualify, you want these guys healthy for the world cup, but it is still like, just as a fan, I just, I want to see it. I want to see the, 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 the 11, the preferred 11. Um, so, you know, I get it. I understand why they're not playing these. They have both were injured on international duty with the U S and haven't been able to get back to being fully fit again. Um, so, you know, that's, that was one, one bit of frustration, uh, also, it's worth pointing out a, a U.S. Soccer, uh, soccer spokesperson told ESPN that as of now, the U.K.-based players that were included on this team, Tim Ream, Zach Steffen, Anthony Robinson, will not travel to Panama, uh, given its status as a red-list country yeah. and the 10-day quarantine period that's required upon their return to the U.K. Uh, so that's, I think the U.S. can still be okay. I think this is a deep enough team, that, as we've come to find out. Depth is one of the strengths here with this team. Um, but it's, it's worth mentioning that people know that going in, that those players will not be available for that game. Yeah, the actual controversy of selection outside of those who just can't be available is again in the forward line, Andrew. Um, so the forwards are Brendan Aronson, Red Bull Salzburg, Paul Ariola, DC United, Matthew Hoppe, Mallorca, Ricardo Pepe, 
currently of FC Dallas, but apparently Ajax have come to speak with him directly and invited him to train with them. Uh, Timothy Weah of Lille and uh, Jossie Zardes of the Columbus crew. The missing one is the inform PFOC of Young Boys Burn scoring in the Champions League and scoring in his own domestic league. And also Conrad De La Fuente of Marseille, who has made a decent start as well to his uh, to his tenure or to his time rather at at Marseille in in Ligue 1. So, also, did you did you mention Josh Sargent not being there? Yes, Josh Sargent not included, despite um, a recent uh, Premier League action for Norwich. I mean, Josh Sargent won't be able to travel for the Panama game anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Sergeant, I'm not so shocked about it. If someone said, Let, we're going to give Sergeant a break, we're going to give him time to, to get more game time at Norwich and, and see more from him, I would kind of understand that. Uh, but the controversy is like, on Twitter anyway, it's like, all right, like what, what can PFOC do outside of scoring the Champions League and be scoring in his domestic competition? Like he's, he's scoring much more at a... a he, Timothy Way hasn't scored yet this season, I don't think, in, not in league action for Lille. Um, complaints about Paul Ariola being involved again. Um, you know, Jossie Zardes is obviously the whipping boy, but we know Jossie Zardes is going to be in more in squads more often than not. And I'm Herhalter fine with it, by the way. What's that? And I'm fine with it. Right. Uh, his reasoning. So he appeared on uh, Paramount Plus's coverage of the Champions League yesterday. He was interviewed by. Um, Thierry Henry and friend of the podcast, Abdo, and he was asked, why no PFOC by Thierry Henry? And his answer was that he wanted more verticality in the team. So guys who can run in behind, guys who are more mobile. And I like, okay, I understand that. That makes sense. Uh, that's how you want to play. Fine. But, you know, PFOC will give you something different. Um, and also he would be there on merit. No one's asking you to start him. He doesn't have to start, but the fact that he's not included. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Now, Brendan Aronson had a brilliant game for Red Bull Salzburg in the champions league this week. He was, he was excellent against Lille. Um, but like you look at the end of Tim ways, like why is Tim way a guarantee to get into this squad ahead of Conrad De La Fuente? Like I, that's another one for me. I don't understand Tim way. If you look at how he finished last season, how he started this season, he's not a guaranteed starter for Lille. I understand that he does. He's more mobile than a PFOC. He can play wide or he can play more central. He gives you more options. But Conrad can do the same too. Like I, I Some of these selections are very kind of, I don't know. I, I feel a bit frustrated by them too. Uh, I see what you're saying. I don't have as big a problem with it just because you know, I think that right now there's a lot of, like we talked about, there's, there's depth here. And I think there's a lot of competition at a lot of these spots. Like players have emerged in a way that maybe like when Tim Weah first emerged, Ricardo Pepe wasn't really on our radar. Um, you know, Matthew Hoppy, guys like that. Right. Uh, but like now those are players too, that are also competing for spots. So for me, Andrew, sorry to cut across you again, but Paul Ariola for me is like a decidedly, you know, we have an A and a B team in this U.S. men's national side. We've seen that during the summer. He he would be a decidedly a B team player for me. 
Uh, yeah, I would agree with you, but I think Bear Halter does value some measure of experience mixed in with all these youth players, mm. with all these not youth players, young players on this team. Okay, uh, maybe that's a role that he can occupy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I know that there's there's always going to be some frustration with these teams that are selected, and part of that is is what I just said that I think there's a lot of the, the pool feels larger now than what it was even a year ago. Uh, so there's always going to ha- there's always going to be people who who they feel their guy was left out, and I get that. Um, I was surprised about PFOC, maybe not quite as much with Conrad, just because in his limit, granted limited appearances so far for the U.S., I don't think he's he's done anything that's really stood out. No, but uh, you know, and I I wouldn't say Timothy Weah has either, not particularly. So, okay, but I'm uh, fine with working with Weah now. Like okay, like now it's Weah's turn. Let's see. Like now, you get a chance to prove it again. If he doesn't do anything in this in this cycle of uh, of qualifying in these three qualifiers, then he may not be included in the next one. We'll see. Like I said, they ha- they just have a large pool to choose from right now. So Bearhalter can kind of like take chances with certain guys. And um, I don't know. I, generally, I was okay with it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Also in the midfield, Luca Della Torre um, from Heracle will uh, will be part of this squad. I wonder will he get a run. Uh, where will he get a run? It's three caps already. So I'm curious to see if he's going to feature. Well, I don't, of, what's that? I don't have a huge amount of problems. I'm, I'm, I'm just, no. I'm, I'm trying to air, be a voice for the people no, who are I understand. Up, upset with the forwards. I get that. Um, Weston McKinney being included in the squad. I have no problem with it whatsoever. I don't think that what happened in the last, you know, it, it's a mark against him. It's something that you remember. Uh, you know, if he slips up again, then we can have an even bigger conversation, but I don't think this is a thing that, you know, you're looking at any permanent suspension or anything like that, by the way, he's still a very good player and we're without Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna. So, you know, if the U S was looking to send some kind of message to Weston McKinney, I think it was adequately sent when he was sent home from the last cycle, he was embarrassed. It was an embarrassing moment for him. It made news here and in Europe, uh, so, you know, further compounding that with then not bringing him back for these three qualifiers, I think that now I, I almost think you're going too far in doing it. So I have no problem, you know, with them deciding, okay, you know, we move on. Weston's still a part of this, this structure, uh, and we're happy to have him here. So uh, no, for me, no issue whatsoever with him being back. I'm happy that he's back. Yeah. Jeff Carlisle tweeted this, this is from the press conference, uh, yesterday, uh, this is on Weston McKinney. This is Bearhalter talking. The one thing I didn't love in how this whole thing got spun is just the lack of tolerance, the lack of understanding for a player situation, for the fact that we have a young group and this group needs to learn. I think we're way too quick to condemn people and not really understand a player's perspective. Listen, his behavior was unacceptable. He took responsibility for it and we move on. We really do move on. But will he be held accountable in the future? Absolutely. That's going to be a part of it. And he understands that. The group understands that. So we move forward. What, what way was this spun, though? It wasn't spun by anyone. We still, haven't had, we, we still haven't had a full explanation as to exactly, specifically, what happened from, from U.S. soccer or from Greg Berhalter. What's he on about spin from and lack of tolerance? There shouldn't be tolerance for this kind of behavior. And there wasn't tolerance. So why... Who... What spinning or spunning is he on about? I don't get it. The, no, the media didn't spin this. Yeah, I don't really, I don't remember feeling that way really either. Maybe he's using the word spin when he kind of means overreacted. Uh, I don't know. I thought the reaction, honestly, I thought it was appropriate. I thought yeah. it was appropriate for how the US handled it. Although, I don't know, it seemed like 
maybe they could have revealed a little bit more information about it rather than allowing you know rumors to run to wild. Fester. Yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily their job to you know to tell us everything that we want to know just out of our own curiosities. And I was kind of fine with the reaction from the fan base and the media as well. You know, it was a, a dumb mistake that he made and, and he got hammered for it. So I think, I don't know, I've kind of thought it was fair all around. And I think it's fair that Bear Halter's bringing him back in now and they're trying to move on from it. And, you know, I think it's, I'm all good with all of it. Um, and then, so the, the last one that I have here, one, I'm also, I'm very happy that Eunice Musa is in this squad. Um, I'll, I think that's important, you know, from the, the little bits we've seen with him in the men's national team so far, I like what I've seen, but this will be, this will be a test now for him to see how he does in the, in actual world cup qualifying. And then the last one, you know, during the gold cup, JJ, I talked a lot about Shaq Moore and how he was a guy who had kind of fallen off the picture, but they brought him back in for that tournament. And he was someone like miles Robinson who kind of forced fans to look at him and force the coaching staff to consider him. Miles Robinson now has taken that and really run with it. And I think is our best defender. Um, Shaq Moore, I, I was, I was happy to see him included on the squad because he, to me, he's someone who played his way into this. Now there's another side to this though. There's a lot of people out there who are really upset with Joe Scally not being included. Um, a guy who's gotten off to a really good start so far in the Bundesliga. And I think people are saying that Shaq Moore, that it's kind of, it was one or the other, whether or not that's true. I have no idea, but that's almost how mm. it's being positioned. So like, I guess we'll see if Shaq Moore gets on the field and plays a role and helps them, then that's the only way you can silence the people that are going to question this because Joe Scal, in terms of what the guys have done domestically for their, their clubs so far, Scali has had, you know, he's playing in the Bundesliga, whereas Moore is in the, the second division in Spain. And he's not always a lockdown starter. So, like, if you're going on that alone, Bearhalter's kind of going out on a bit of a limb here, choosing more over Scally. Definitely. Uh, but, but clearly, Bearhalter, you know, he holds this value in guys who have done a job, who have, who have performed for the U.S. when they've given them when they've had their opportunity, and more unquestionably did that in the in the Gold Cup run. So, you know, Bearhalter is rewarding that player. So, I'm, would- I'm okay with it, but he is putting himself in, in a bit of a vulnerable position by making that choice well allow me to give the irish position on scally um scally scally he is he's been really good in high profile games in the bundesliga Mm -hmm. and i i think he'll be scratching his head about this one andrew personally when he sees how many young players are involved in this setup and he's not one of them that's that's another position that i think uh that bear has left himself in a tight spot if it if it doesn't work out with jack moore yeah um and and again it you know, you have players thinking, well, what about merit? Um, before we get off this, going back to Eunice Musa, Eunice Musa needs games as well. Mm-hmm. You know, not a guaranteed starter for his club. In fact, uh, in La Liga, he's been in the squad five times so far this season, the starting 11 once and substituted in four times. Now he had an injury to start the season. That's true, an ankle injury, but another guy that needs games and... Um, so Here next we week, uh, Jamaica, Panama, and Costa Rica. Two of those at home, Jamaica and Costa Rica in the U.S., Panama on the road. Should be fun. Should be fun. We will, of course, talk lots and lots more about that. Let's close on a mailbag, JJ. Let's do a mailbag, Andrew. Uh, first of all, I'd like to issue an apology. Mm-hmm. I've been much better on Twitter lately where I don't engage with things that, I, that annoy me or irk me, but I, the last few days I've just gone guns blazing into some of these arguments. Uh, this one annoyed me yesterday from 
I, and I apologize to to at Batman me or 19. I, I apologize. I shouldn't have uh, snapped back at you. But at the same time, you still irked me with what you said. Atsuya Sarkopod, to be that guy, Bayern have won 20 of their last 21 Champions League games with 78 to 18 goals ratio. Only Real was more successful in the last decade of football. They deserve more time in your pod besides, yeah, Lewandowski is good. I just thought that was... Look, Twitter's not the best place to, to assess tone, but I thought it was a little bit snarky. Uh, and by the way, it was before we did this podcast where, where you were very fulsome in your prayers of Bayern Munich. I'm going to be honest with you. Bayern Munich, outside of the Hansi Flick run in the Champions League where they won it the year before last, they bore me to death. I have no interest in this club whatsoever. None, apart from the fact the latter stages of the Champions League. They have won, what, every single Bundesliga title since bar, bar two since 2009. Um, yeah, just, I get what you're saying, and there, there's, there's not a lot of intrigue there. There's no intrigue there. They hoover up all young talent, including now managers. Uh, Nagelsmann is just, of course, he's ended up there by the osmosis. Everything runs towards them. And when we had that brief moment where the Bundesliga was the first league back during COVID in 2020, and we consumed a lot of Bundesliga, we even previewed the start of the Bundesliga on this podcast. Every other team I found interesting. There were so many games that were that like even Union Berlin I found interesting. Uh, uh, if Borussia Dortmund are on and Bayern Munich are on and they're playing different different games, I'm going to watch Borussia Dortmund. They bore Bayern me to... are fun to watch though. Mm. I don't. I, like, I th- their I success like... might be boring to you, but watching them play is fun. I I, I enjoyed them under Hansi Flick, but um, honestly, most of the time they don't do anything for me. That's 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 the truth. That's the truth of it. So if you don't get much Bayern Munich uh, commentary from me, that's why. Devin Chu. Uh, hi, guys. This is a great one. I like this. Now that James Rodriguez has left Everton, what are your thoughts on this season with the club? Personally, as a neutral, I was excited for his arrival and I am left feeling disappointed. Keep up the great work. Yeah. We never so, really talked about this. This is... Uh, I think ultimately it kind of went the way we thought it would. Did it? I mean, I could go back to our yeah. preview podcast when we talked about him, but I remember saying that, like, I think he's really good, but his fitness and his availability is always going to be the issue with him. So I went back, I saw this this um, note that was sent to us. And so I did go back and look at it a little bit. And ultimately, when he played, he was effective. Like his, his goals plus assists per 90 was just over 0.5. So essentially every other game. Uh, he had a 0.66 goal creating actions per 90 minutes last year. Just to put that in perspective, that was 10th best in the league. And like the guys who were ahead of him were like De Bruyne, Grealish, Bruno, Foden, Kane, Lingard, Vardy, like players like that. Um, So he was like, that was where he was at when he was playing. He was top 20 in the league and shot creating actions per 90. But like we said, what we thought could be a problem for him was, and that was his fitness, just 21 starts. 23 appearances. That's also just, his, it's just not enough to have made the kind of impact that he has the potential to make. And I think we all, we always knew because that was what plagued him at his previous stops. It was why were things going to be different at Everton? They weren't, unfortunately. Also his commitment, like the last missing, what was it? The last two or, or one of the last games of the season to go to just wasn't there. And it was on a plane flying back to Columbia. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if this guy actually likes football anymore. He, he, he probably loves football, but I don't think he's committed to like, I don't think he has the fire in the belly. He's turned 30 now, Andrew. And honestly, 
apart from a couple, uh, maybe a season, season and a half at Real Madrid, little period at uh, Bayern Munich, what's he done? Yeah, I mean, that 2014 World Cup put him That's on it. the map in a way that, you know, I, I kind of feel bad for him because his career domestically hasn't gone the way that we thought it would after that World Cup. And I'm sure he thought it would as well. And you you can, I don't know anything about him to say that he doesn't love football. I could see why he would be frustrated because his body in, in moments has betrayed him. And that I'm sure is demoralizing in a way that's hard for us to, to understand. Do you go to Al Ryan in the stars league of Qatar for, because you love football or because you get lots and lots of money? Probably because you get lots of money, but I, I don't know if that means he doesn't love football. He's going to be managed by Laurent Blanc. And uh, the latest transfer is Steven Nzanzi. So, mm-hmm. all right. There we are. Uh, Apocalypto. I really shouldn't read this, but I'm going to. Still waiting for the day you and Andrew can actually praise Arsenal and Arteta for the young signings they have made and the system they have in place. Was excited to see this week's pod, but found it quite hilarious that the focus was more on Tottenham's lack of game plan. It's actually a pattern with you guys. Please stop the bias. Would be more enjoyable to listen to the pods. The bias, Andrew. Oh, the Um, bias. You gave... I I saw this. What I, like, why am I reading this? It's just, it's the one thing that irks me. You can criticize the podcast. You can get onto us when we make mistakes or maybe when we've omitted something. I, I'm actually pretty much fine with all those things. But when the, when the, when they start injecting the, the bias, and by the way, most of our listeners don't do any of this nonsense, but when it does happen, it just kills me. It's just so annoying. Yeah. I don't know. I thought I was pretty, yeah, pretty kind to Arsenal. I said, I remember saying that they were spectacular. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, we talked about Smith Rowe and Saka and how how encouraging it must be to Arsenal supporters yeah. to see their young players shining right. in a big occasion like this. Like they were probably the two best players in the game. That's I don't know. Like I'm I'm just rehashing things that we said. Yeah, so. I know. I and 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 I read from Ars blog, which I agreed with about how this should make you feel good and make you think. Here's the Arteta plan. It's not always visible. It's been a rough start to the season, but here it is against our best our biggest rival. Um, I don't, I, I don't understand this. I, I will never understand where, like, they obviously don't listen to everything we say. Some, some of these listeners. Well, no, it's not that. It's that, like, JJ. So look at the the Twitter avatar of of the tweet you're reading. It's yeah. a, a picture of Kieran Tierney. Like, yeah. look, I saw this. It triggered me a little bit. It, I, I got annoyed with it. So I, I, I took the bait. I checked his Twitter, his timeline, and oh, his geez. past tweets and stuff. And it's a steady stream of like. Tottenham hate so like <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm not, like he's fine okay you want to say we're biased I I don't know that I see it but sure what? it's possible we talk a lot about Tottenham um and we'd certainly talked about them when we were discussing that game but you're look at your Twitter profile and your yeah. Twitter avid, you're biased too yeah like, that's so fine we're all the worst all right we're all the worst there was one that you, us like just accept it there was one entertaining uh guy who, who got in and I gave him way more time than they should have but he was upset that you had praised Liverpool in the way for this way for this one, the mental gymnastics had praised Liverpool for a good start to the season on a previous pod, then criticized, then, then talked about Everton this week, but said they hadn't played anyone yet, but you never mentioned who Liverpool played two weeks ago or whenever it was. And then you look at, I did the same thing as you. I took a look, look at his timeline. Just all Manchester United stuff, and when it's not Manchester United stuff, it's it's uh, having a pop at 
United's direct rivals, City and Liverpool. Like just these people. I don't, I don't, I don't think they actually, going back to that article we tweeted before, I don't think they actually like football. You know, they don't. Well, I think they, I think they love they their, like their club and yeah. it's another kind of turf war for them in their lives. You know, look, I don't, I used to kind of get caught up in like, oh no, this guy said we're not talking enough about his team on Twitter. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We're always going to tick we're never going to keep off. them off. Like, I don't know. We just like, we've been doing this for a while. The podcast is really more successful than I ever thought it would be. And yeah, so like right. at a certain point, we just have to kind of trust our gut and like it's worked. And no. you know, we can always take constructive criticism, but the just kind of like the lazy critique of you don't talk enough about my team. Well, sorry, I don't, I don't know. You're not talking the right way about my team. Yeah. You're not that's... praising my team enough. Well, maybe that's because maybe because Arsenal were the worst team in the league after three games. Yeah. I'm not ready to throw them a parade yet. All right. They were great against Tottenham <laughs> and North London Derby. Let's just see. All right. Let's just see. And I actually, as a football club, like how would I be biased against Arsenal? I love Arsenal. Honestly, they're one of the old historic clubs. There's so much history there. Arsenal, I've read more biographies of Arsenal players than I think I've ever read about any Liverpool player. It's just, I mean, look, he's probably not, he's probably talking about me because I'm a Tottenham fan. So ah, look, I, I get it. Like, there's two of us me. here. I understand, but let's, this is silliness. What, what else do you have? Uh, Father Gundling's confessional. Uh, I need you. We're going to run through these quickly. You need to absolve them. Uh, um, uh, just say, I absolve you, my child. That might yes, be quick. Everyone, step into my pew or vestibule, my room. What do they call there, it, JJ? Where there is happen? a confessional box. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Will we get you a box? All right. Yeah, I would love that. Okay. Bless me, Father Andrew, for I have sent. I said, here's the first one. Uh, these are these first few are from Reddit. I said offsides instead of offside for much longer than I care to admit. Oh, that is a severe punishment. What are what is a what would I do in a situation like this if I wanted to hand down like a severe punishing? Oh, 10 Hail Marys and four our fathers every morning for the next month. Oh, that's it? You just have to say something? Uh, um, and That feels oh, like letting him off easy. I feel like he should stand on like a street corner with a sign around his neck that just says like it's pronounced offside. So like as cars go by, they can see that. Father Andrew has spoken. As a United <laughs> fan, I let me sons wear Liverpool and Leeds shirts. <gasps> Oof. Oof. That's just odd. Yeah. Man United fan for 23 years. Saddens to say, but I enjoy watching Liverpool, especially in the last three or four years. That's okay. You're a football fan. Uh, Tottenham fan who doesn't mind seeing other smaller London clubs do well define smaller London clubs yeah exactly yeah we need a definition here because if it's smaller it it can't be West Ham let's put it that way (laughs) no Um, no (laughs) uh, another one from Reddit I only listen to JJ and Andy talk about the US national team when they lose oh (laughs) is he a fan of the team I don't know that's that's a kind of a that's that in, in soccer terms, that's a kinky one. That really is. Only just like masochistic, unless yeah, he hates yeah. the U, unless he's like a, a fan of Mexico. So he just is like, oh, no, this is great. Why would he even admit that then? Oh, uh, we got to find no, you're out. right. Yeah, you're right. Reddit answer. Answer our questions here. And at uh, THFC Mark, forgive me, father, for I have sinned. I have rooted against my own team before in order for the coach to lose his job. Amen. Oh, I don't like that. I've never done that. I'm not I've a never fan. done that. No. All right. Father Andrew. I, I, there's, there's definitely been moments where I wasn't upset that my team lost, but I, I don't know that I've ever actively rooted for uh, my team to lose. Yeah. 
And one final thing from Reddit before we go from the mailbag. This ends the Father Gundling segment. Um, uh, one guy came up with a great, really obscure, deep cut, caught offside merchandise option. A T-shirt that just says, the United States have stadiums and great technology. If you really, truly love this podcast, you'll know where that comes from. Yeah. All right. That's you're the mailbag. All, you're all absolved. You're all absolved of your sins. Absolved from Father Andy. Uh, this was fun. Wow. Champions League. That's great. Great podcast. Champions League. Champions League recap and uh, U.S. men's national team and attacking our listeners. Ooh, those, those are the sweet spots. <laughs> I love our listeners. Like, so I think we I. have unbelievable listeners. I do. But, like, I it's do. fine that they like we frustrate them sometimes by things that we say and they can frustrate us by things. that You know, it's a normal, right? It's a normal relationship. But what you should never do is never say, never do the thing where I was disappointed in something you said. I might have to, I might have to think of not listening anymore. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's just silly. And yeah, we, we're not going to agree 100% of the time. No. Just no. how it is. And that's fine. like you and I have, haven't agreed near, probably 50% of the time, but it works. We're still super close. Apart from the first like five or six episodes where we agreed on everything and then realized this isn't a good formula for a podcast. I don't remember that. We were very kind to each other early on. Well, it was the kind of the honeymoon phase. Now we're like a grizzled old couple that, you know, sleeps in separate bedrooms. My mom texted me the other day and she said, go easy on Andrew. We listened to the podcast before we went for our walk, which is like, what are you doing? Uh, what do we do today, Jack? Well, we go for a walk, Peggy, anyway. And the most important thing to do is to listen to the podcast before we do it. What was I she just, referring to? I don't feel when was the thing recently where you were hard? There have been moments in the past where a podcast has ended. And I'm like, oh, he put me through the ringer today. But I don't remember <laughs> that recently. What? I never oh, want yeah. to make you feel like that. Oh, man, I hated the Mourinho era at Spurs, not just because of what Tottenham looked like, but because doing this podcast just became so tedious. Having oh to try God. to. Oh, my oh God. it was some of those afterwards. I was like, oh, that was. But man, we that... had the high point, the high point of that, like April and May of 2019 was such a high point for us that the minute Mourinho got announced, it was always going to be downhill. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But at any rate, we anyway, all still love each other. We do. This was fun, my friend. Uh, lots of action over the weekend, international break or international frenzy to follow. Uh, so there's still uh, there's a lot, a lot going on. Lot, lot, lot going on is true. Yep. Enjoy the fall weather. Both of my boys are playing uh, in soccer leagues this weekend. Even my two-year-old oh, son. Wow. Yeah. So I'll somehow. Uh, I guess I, they're at the same time, unfortunately, in two different places. So I'll have to choose. I, I'm if I could get odds on on your younger son Luke getting sent off for a two-footed lunge. I uh, those odds are high. He's high. animalistic. He's, he's out of control. He's um, he's the Rajan Nangalan of. <laughs> You three soccer players. Yeah. Actually, Nangalan is, he's not that ill, Ill- disciplined. Uh, How about I mean, like Charlie Adam? <laughs> a little bit ill tempered. Um, yeah. How about yeah. Uh, maybe for our apocalypto, uh, maybe Granite, Granite Jaka, my favorite. Oh, Granite Jaka. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Well, hey, this was fun. Uh, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care, my friend. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 